0: of Celtish. I'm your host, Erika Nagamoto, and I'm here with Beth Brown and Marjorie Sandor to talk about our band Fiongal. I was thinking we could start with some introductions. So Beth, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, um, I've been playing I first started playing Celtic music, I don't know, probably 15 years ago, trained as a classical cellist and um, married a musician who didn't read music, but was a fabulous, is a fabulous musician. And so I um, learned how from him, playing with him, learned how to improvise and play, started playing folk music. So I played folk music many years. And then about 15 years ago, a friend of mine who was an icon of the Corvallis Celtic music scene, Bruce Marvin, um, who has since passed away. He invited me to be in one of his contra dance bands um, playing Celtic music, mostly, well, old time and Irish and those kinds of things on my cello. And so I started playing with him and I learned so much and I just really loved it. And then we formed um, another band that uh, went on to play many types of uh, Celtic inspired music and singing. And so I've been playing Celtic music for a long time. That's great. How about you, Marjorie? Uh, well, I was
2: a, a sort of failed child musician. Uh, I refused to read music and got in trouble with about five piano teachers in a row. Took up the guitar for about from about 15 to 25 and played folk songs and accompanied myself on guitar. Um, uh, and I had about, I'd say I had six and a half chords total. Um, and then I... Walked away from the guitar for about forty years, um, and was mostly playing piano. And one day, I'm married to a drummer, and and my husband said, "You know, if you just played with other people more often, you'd stay on rhythm." And so I said, "How am I going to do that with this piano?" And and then I remembered that I had a guitar, and I had to actually find it. It was it was kind of hiding from me. I found the guitar, and in a started sort of brushing up my guitar skills and discovered a, uh, a slow session, kind of a class in the back of the fingerboard extension, a music a music store in town here in Corvallis. And the teacher was a fiddler named Sherry Ame. And she said, you should really try Dadgad, which is uh, a non-standard tuning. And the minute I tuned my guitar to this It's it's a whole step down, so it's a very deep sound. The minute I tuned my guitar, I wanted to play. And I wanted to play in a way that I had never, ever before wanted to play. And that was about three and a half years ago, and I haven't looked back. (laughs) I didn't know that.
1: And I um, I remember the first time I met Marjorie. I was at uh, a session um, that Sherry Ame was sending a lot of her Students, too, but I don't think she sent Marjorie there. I don't know if this was before or after. Um, When you came with, um, didn't you come with Debbie Birdseye to uh, the session at um, Cloud and Kelly's? Deborah Lindsay. Oh, Deborah Lindsay to the session at Cloud and Kelly's and... You were sitting there at the bar having a beer, and you came over and said, I want to know what what were the names of some of the tunes you were playing? And she says, I'm going to write them down because I want to learn them. And I'm like, oh, well, we played this or that, or, you know, and nobody, she didn't know anybody there, and we didn't know her. And um, she started learning those tunes, and then eventually started coming to the session. And then Tracy started, her husband, who's a Baron player, the Irish uh, drum, he started coming to the sessions too. And, and, um, there was another guitarist there, um, Steve Cunningham. was did you ever play when he was there? No. We had a, a sometimes guitarist, but then Marjorie started becoming the guitarist, you know, the, the dad, gad guitarist for the, the Celtic session.
2: They were, um, insanely welcoming. It was the kindest thing. I remember being really afraid at first um, because I didn't know what I was doing and I was bringing two guitars, one in standard and one in dadgad and I would sort of, because I only had like three chords in dadgad at that point, Uh Um, but people were so welcoming. It was quite remarkable and I, it was like a whole world opened up to me in Corvallis that I hadn't known existed Um, and people like Beth and a bunch of other folks just kept being encouraging. I mean, what an amazing way to learn. And if you're an ear-based learner as opposed to a reader, Celtic music is sort of perfect. Uh, we can talk about that some more, but it really is, it's, um, it's, it's really based in listening to other people and paying really close attention to the melody and figuring out what's, you know, what's going to work best for the, f- to support that melody. So it was a huge, it was a huge sort of source of joy, unexpectedly. I would say to be welcomed into that community I didn't even know existed in this town,
1: and and that's the thing about a session. And I think, well, of course, we have a, a West Coast style session, which is really different from a session you might find in Nova Scotia, um, is very very different, or even in Scotland or Ireland and um, different places. Our our session here in Corvallis is like that. We have we have rank beginners who maybe just play a few notes when they come around. Um, and then we have really fabulous players who teach Celtic music or play in bands, or we just have many levels, and we try to, um, it's just great that the whole point is to play together, and it's not to um, see who's better, or who can play faster, or, you know, it's just, it's it's and it's an opportunity to get together and play with people, because that's what these instruments are meant for. Who wants to sit around playing a violin by themselves over and over, or a whistle, or whatever? Um but to play with others is, is what what's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's
0: kind of like where I started was at the Imagine Coffee, the sessions. Do you ever go to those? I
2: haven't been to those, but yeah, I'd love yeah. to hear about that. I haven't
0: been those, to those in a while, but that's where I started. And yeah, everyone is just so, so nice. And you can just play it as many times as you want. And they're like, help you through it. And even if you don't know like very much about the tunes or, or any of the tunes, then then you will by the time of the end of the session. And it's really fun to look out into the audience. People just enjoy it, even if you're just playing it for the first time ever. And and they're dancing, and it's just a lot of fun. But um, I met Beth at the the farmer's market, the indoor Corvallis farmer's market. And she was playing, you were playing cello, and um, I think Ralph, your husband, was on, Um,
1: what was it? He was... He was either playing guitar, he does play guitar, but he was playing a dulciborn. maybe, was it in his lap? Yes. Yeah. Yes. A very unusual kind of, it's it's like a, um, uh, oh. A mountain dulcimer? It's like a dulcimer, but it has a bigger body. Yes. It's like a dulcimer. You, it's a lap dulcimer. Yeah. Yeah. That was really cool. And
0: so I just said, Hey, and then we started playing at sessions together and then. Met Marjorie at those sessions, <laughs> which is cool. And now, we've been playing together for like, um, like a year. Not even a year. It's right? About
2: exactly a
1: year. A- oh about exactly. We had our first gig last year. Remember at the, at the Natty Dresser on, on that right. first Friday in March because you already had that gig. Yeah, <laughs> for, <laughs> And then we had played Thomas. like had two practices. But
0: yeah, that was that was funny. Another another goes to show how. Celtic music can just
1: be here you go, you know, <laughs> sort of thing. But that's cool. Well, we had some similar repertoire. We did. We yes. did,
0: and we we still play some of it. Mm-hmm. Not very m- much of it, but some of it. Um, but but how we got together was um, we could talk about Airly and how um, they were looking for the women's. Was it Emerson? It was
1: Emerson. Oh, it was Emerson. Emerson.
0: Yeah.
1: Excuse me. Yeah, Beth can Emerson. tell us about
0: that. Huh? Yeah, oh, shall you, I tell the yeah, story? Tell us the story. So,
1: um, my previous Celtic trio um, had played a lot of wineries, and we had a lot of gigs, and um, and one of them was at Emerson Vineyard, Emerson Winery, and. Um, we were wanting to play there in their summer music series and um, I heard back from the owner of Emerson and he said he sent me an email and he said oh it'd be great to have you play we're doing this women's music weekend and if you can fit the parameters um you're it would be wonderful to have you so my that current band had two women and one man and the parameters were it has to be Uh, music written by women or made popular uh, by women. And you can have a man in the band but not in a lead role. He wanted women in the in the major roles of the band. Well, in my other band, one of the the male fiddler had a very major role, and so I thought, well, that's not going to work. So um, I asked the other woman fiddler in uh, that band if she wanted to, and she said, "Oh, I'm just really too busy. I don't want to form another band." I was thinking it might just be we just work up some tunes for this for this gig and then um that might be it but then I thought about uh Marjorie who I'd met at the session who I just so admired her dadgad playing and then Erica the you know hotshot fiddler who is you know at sessions and and I thought wouldn't that be fun to play with those two and um and then I would play add cello and uh, whistle and I was just, I almost, I lost sleep over it um, thinking about how exciting it was when I sent out the emails and kind of waiting for the replies. I, I was like, oh, I just, it just really made me um, so excited if I could play with these two. And they both enthusiastically okay. said, yes, wow, thanks for thinking of me. What an opportunity. And that's exactly what I want, I, the response I wanted. So That's how the, that's how it came. And we did do that gig and we worked up a whole two hours worth. Was it two or three? Two hours worth of music just by women uh, composers. So that means we couldn't play really any of the traditional Irish or old time tunes because you don't know who wrote them. And so we came up with a whole set of of tunes that were all written by women so they're all fairly contemporary in the Celtic style. So, Yeah, and it's really amazing how many are out there right now. It
2: seems like a kind of golden age to me for contemporary Celtic music and particularly for women um, composers. The Scotland um, in particular seems kind of uh, abundant with Uh, with women writing uh, modern compositions. And you crack that door open and it's just crazy how many people are are writing really gorgeous music. Um, And then a lot of people wouldn't necessarily um, associate it with sort of traditional Celtic music, actually. But it is kind of coming out of that tradition.
0: It was kind of a Celtic fusion.
2: Yeah, Celtic why, fusion.
0: Yeah, there you go. Kel- Celtish. I know you don't like that term. I do. Celtish. I don't have a problem with that term. <laughs> I think it's oh, hilarious. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was thinking that we could we could just talk a little bit about how we get tunes together and how we arrange them. But I, and we were talking a little bit about the women composers and we, we, we take a lot of our inspiration from Hanukkah Castle and and a lot of other women cuz now that's like mostly our repertoire is women composers and and women f- made famous famous stuff by women <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think that's pretty cool we kind of try to make it our own you know you can take a tune and it's just kind of bare bones and then and then you you twist it and and kind of give other people parts and and then it turns into something a little bit different which is really fun Yeah. I don't know. We just, we just did that (laughs) just now. (laughs) Yeah. Is there anything that, that you guys think about? Like when we're like, is it like a formula or you just, you just go for it when we have a tune that we are arranging?
1: Well, because, um, one, my first, uh, band, um, that I played in this type of music was a contra dance band, um, contra dances always have three, um, they're sets of three tunes usually, and it's mostly because the dances are long and the musicians just get tired of playing the same tune over and over and over again. Um, and the dancers kind of get tired of the same tune. So you find tunes that fit together. And sometimes you'll go from one key um, and then like, um, and then a, maybe a little higher key, it brings up the energy, or maybe you'll go start in a minor key and then move to a major. And so so. I kind of got used to arranging sets of tunes for contra dancing where often um, the, the the last tune in a set of tunes for a dance would be like an a because that's a very bright key so that's one way to kind of look at putting tunes together is what key they're in, maybe a, a major and a minor, or they're in the same key, or they transition to a, to a key that works well. And then also sometimes the runs at the end of a, a tune just naturally uh, move into uh, how the other tune starts. You know, the, the melodies just kind of blend really well or, and then the tunes have the, you know, maybe they're, well, we do a lot lot of tunes that go from slow tunes and then we speed it up to a fast tune to end it with or, um, things like that. But, um, there is just a lot to think about in, uh, putting a set of tunes together so that the listener is taken on a, like a musical journey that is, is very fluid, but it, you know, the mood might change a little and the tunes are similar, but, um, not, not that similar.
0: Yeah. Sometimes it just, it feels like the ends of tunes just kind of push you, push you towards another tune, which is, and then it's like, oh my gosh, of course, of course we're going to do that. And a lot of the times people always say, oh, how do you keep these tunes straight? You know, they they sound so similar. And a lot of the times they sound so similar that you just kind of like mush them together. And sometimes, sometimes you, you can't keep them straight. Like, I think we, we can demonstrate some of those. There's like, the Boston Urban Kaylee and the the soccer, forgot backseat soccer and Boston Urban Kaylee really sound. There's like one note. If you play it wrong, then then you're gonna just go into the other one because they're almost exactly the same. And I think the chords are, are the same. They are, right? yeah, yeah, very much so. <laughs> so that's confusing. <laughs> so that's the start of one tune, and this is the start of the other. Are very similar. And if I don't finish the scale in the beginning of the first tune, then I'll just end up playing the second tune.
1: Well, and I will also say that, um, Erica as the lead mostly who mostly plays, um, the melody and often will, will start the new tune with a melody, um, it, it's a lot a lot to remember how a tune begins. I remember <laughs> I was at playing a gig and um, I was going to start a melody. It wasn't with this band. It was another band. I was going to start a melody. Well, no, I have done it with this band um, where I'm starting out on a melody. And, you know, most of these tunes were, are memorized. And so I'm playing and they're like, oh, no, that's, that's the wrong tune. <laughs> and like, you know, or you're getting ready to start a set with a tune. It's like... Oh gosh, you just have a a brain fart. How how does that tune go again? And you know, and realizing that let's say in a gig in a 2-hour gig we're playing 18 um sets of tunes and let's say so they have either 2 or 3 tunes in each of those 18 Sets we're playing. I mean, that is a lot of tunes to have in your head. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, he and sure Erica, has a- has, you know, is mostly responsible for that. So, cheers to Erica. Yeah, well,
2: <laughs> and, and 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 also they all have different arrangements. Um, we might play them two times or three times so there's it's not even just the tune that you're trying to remember but um the setup and the you know the intro and the outro <laughs> um and transitions in between there's a lot of like other kind of matter that has to kind of stick in your head i think it's extraordinary um really and i it's ex- exhilarating um and i think it's one of the things that's been thrilling for me about playing with you guys is that um you're both um, really good at sort of creating a sense of anticipation um, for where the tune is going um, and where we're going next. So, between the way you play and your body language, I can I can sort of read the future a little bit for myself and resituate. And I've I've every once in a while I think you have to know 70 tunes to survive the next three hours. And then I think that is not something you really want to think about. What you want to think about is, what are we doing right now? And how do we pay really close attention to each other for this moment? And then let that go and get ready for the next one. Um, it really does not pay to consider the total picture. <laughs> yeah. It's dangerous even. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that's also part of like, it, you were like talking on stage without talking, which is, which is fun, and you you get to know like how certain people like specifically communicate while they're playing, and that's like just really fun. You feel like like even if we, I mean we 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 talk a lot to, to the three of us <laughs> together in our in our practices, but even if we didn't, I feel like I would still feel like I really got to know you guys just by playing together with you, just because how you communicate body language is like a big part of it. It's mostly most of it. So, yeah.
1: Well, and as they say, there's literally hundreds of dollars to be made (laughs) over a career in folk music. So clearly we are not doing it for the money. There is no reason to be in a band that is not fun. There's absolutely no reason for me. And I'm sure for the members of this band, um, of course we want the respect of getting paid, but that is not why we're doing it. We're doing it Cause it's fun and you have to be friends first uh, and enjoy each other's company first. It doesn't matter what, if you're the best or the worst of musicians, if you're, if you can't be friends, there's just no reason to be in a band (laughs) with anybody. That's true. Very true.
0: And I think we have a lot of fun at our gigs too. Like, um, I don't know about you guys, but I think one of my favorite gigs was the Airly gig when in that tent, it was just, it was a beautiful day in a beautiful setting. It was like a a lake pond thing and and cute dogs running around and twinkly lights. Yes. It was so pretty. And the the audience seemed to be really enjoying it because they got up and, and there was a group of, of dancers there and they were just dancing away. And it was so fun. So fun to watch them.
1: And at that point, we had only been a band for five months, and this was a three-hour gig, and we had to play every single thing we knew. <laughs>
2: That's right. Yeah. I remember that was the first time that I sort of felt, um, well, I felt the urge to stand up and play rather than sit down. And the minute I stood up, I found that I was able to uh, communicate and hear, uh, you know, and, and work with the two of you more and more sort of in sync. Um, and there was this just this energy and delight that was kind of running through. And I thought, oh, I'm standing up from now on. This is this is a big secret. Uh, um, and it sometimes can be hard for three hours, but it, it, there is so much energy in whatever way you're standing. And for a guitarist, I think standing up does bring a lot more um, a lot more ability to communicate with the other musicians. And since I'm I, I'm a backer in in this, you know that. What that means, essentially, is that I'm, I'm here to support the melody players um, and find the, the chords, first of all, the chords that are most quote-unquote right, and then to kind of mess with them um, so that there are occasional surprises that are still right but unexpected. Um, and there, it's just a whole lot easier um, if you're really feeling like you're in communication with your melody players um, to see kind of where it is we want to go now, what's the mood? And that night in particular Um, felt really uh, improvisatory and fluid and um, sort of, I don't know, it was like Midsummer Night's Dream. It just felt like it had its own harmonic rightness. It was a very cool evening. It was fun.
1: Well, and we also, you know, it was like Erica was saying, it was the energy of the audience. And when you can, when you feel like you are talking, uh, sometimes, you know, I'll talk and people in the audience will talk back, uh, which is great. I love, I love audience hecklers. Some of the people call them hecklers, but I'd love it because when they talk back and, um, ask for things or you joke back and forth or, um, or they're dancing, or you can see them tapping their feet, or they start clapping. Erica's dad is famous at our concerts for when she plays a fast tune, he starts clapping, and it is just everyone starts clapping. It is really, really fun to get that energy up there, and so that's a lot of what it's about too—is feeling like you're really connecting with the audience.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then you feel like you can do anything, and they'll they'll just they'll just be <laughs> right. right
1: there with you, you <laughs> right. know. So. Right.
0: Right. Um, also, I think you said that you were classically trained, and I was also classically trained. Um, and stylistically, there's not a lot of chopping or, or turns or slides that go into classical pieces, but it's like a necessity for for fiddling and and Celtic, mostly folk music in general. So, um, yeah, chopping is not really done in classical but um it's starting to be which is which is kind of fun um there's uh, there's a lot of like contemporary classical artists that are kind of incorporating different stylistic things that you really weren't supposed to before which is cool like i i saw a concert once and um this this lady started blowing into her flute put her whole mouth on it in the hole, like not with an embouchure or anything just like all the way in her mouth and just completely i don't I don't even know what she was doing, but it sounded <laughs> sounded very interesting <laughs> so um, but Marjorie, in addition to being a a word writer, she's also <laughs> a music writer and um, has written some really great tunes that we that we play and one of them is a, is a well you you talk about <laughs> you talk about your your process and your
2: um, well, I, I do come from a writing background um when i when I uh, sort of my childhood failure at music sort of led me to write stories. and um, uh, and I've spent my whole life uh, writing and teaching writing uh, until about just about three and a half years ago, I finished a very long novel that had taken me a long time to write. And I also retired from my teaching job at Oregon State. Uh, and that's right around the time that, music started flooding into my life and taking over. Um, And I was kind of taking a break from writing because this novel I'd written had taken a lot out of me. And I thought, oh, I'm done writing. And I didn't feel bad about that because I was so busy just figuring out what chords to play behind these great melodies. And then uh, uh, one day I was sitting at the piano, actually, and I started writing I don't even. I, it was hard to even call it writing. It was just so, something started coming out that I didn't quite recognize. Though I had a f- terrible feeling that I was stealing it from, you know, because I was sort of saturated with Celtic tunes at that point. So I would I tried it out on a few people. I said, "What is this?" And they said, "It's yours." <laughs> um, and I called it the accidental waltz um, because it was such an accident, and it has a crooked part in it um, because I, you know. I, I wasn't really thinking about rhythm or anything. I was just letting this thing kind of come out. Um, and and since then, I've written about 14 or 15 tunes. I uh, wrote a little suite dedicated to the Mars Rover. That was a lot of fun where I tried to be more deliberate um, about changing things up from tune to tune. It's a set of six tunes. Um, and then um, the one that uh, we have been playing in this group um, is called The Oaks of Tampico. And I'm... Uh, really happy with that one. Um, and I think it actually came out of, a, earlier Erica was talking about Hanukkah Castle, this wonderful fiddler and composer from Port Orford, Oregon, who I believe now lives in Boston. Um, but I had been listening to one album over and over and over and over and over again. And this thing came out of me and I thought, oh, I just ripped off Hanukkah Castle. Um, uh, and... And But it was so satisfying. And one of the strange things that happened was I thought, uh, I wrote the, so I guess I should say traditional tunes are written in parts and usually there are two parts. Um, Sometimes there are three part tunes and four part tunes and even six part tunes. But uh, I started noticing as I was writing that What I had written sounded like the climactic part of a tune or the turn of the tune. And I thought, oh, you're writing the B part first or the second part first. So I had to then back up and write the A part, which was really bizarre. And then I thought, you're still a writer. I thought, you're looking for the drama and the tension in a story. And how is this not a story? It's just a story without words. Uh, And that was sort of a revelation to me. And this particular tune is called The Oaks of Tampico, and it was written um, uh, 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 really about a week or two after a uh, oh, beautiful set of oak trees uh, in in the outskirts of Corvallis. Um, uh, half blew down in a huge windstorm, and several um, several oaks had to be taken down um, because they were dangerous. They were sort of looming over houses. And we were playing music at a friend's house out on that road. And he was just bereft and bereaved about these trees that were going to have to be taken down. And so part of it was a kind of homage um, to this friend who's also a musician and and his beautiful trees and how sad he and his wife were that they might lose them. They actually ended up moving so that they wouldn't have to take down the trees. which is weird a weird story, but it's called, yeah, it's it's Tampico Road is the name of this this part of town. and um and I just so that the mood of the piece is, is a little bit on the melancholy side, I guess. And then one other thing I wanted to say is that we were talking earlier about um, one tune might be lead might lead into another, and sort of and I remember we were playing the Oaks of Tampico and Erica it uh, just goes, oh, man, this goes with scandalous. And she and the scandalous is a tune by Hanukkah Castle. Um, and you just rolled into it. And I thought, you did rip off Hanukkah Castle. That's <laughs> how I knew. It was kind of hilarious, though, but you know that um, if you soak long enough in the bathwater of one composer, you probably are going to come out with something that will maybe, maybe go with it. <laughs> Hopefully not Im- imitate it too much, but go with it. It seems like that would be kind of
0: similar to writing. Like if you're only reading one, compo- right, right. Writer-,
2: writer, composer. Oh my gosh, <laughs> what writer <are> they called.
0: <laughs> yeah, then then you're gonna just vomit what they what you've yeah. been consuming, which is right. cool. But I think it's beautiful, and I think that you didn't rip her off at all. I think it's just inspiration, and and it's it's so fun to play. And I think the story even makes it better because. It's sad but it's it's also like you can tell that it's celebrating the beauty of of the trees and that's really nice. Cool.
1: eight notes in a scale and so that's how many combinations yeah. can you make I mean yeah. we're all um, borrowing things from each other and from the musical language and from the written language and that's that's how we are yeah. I think it's totally acceptable That she used right, and scandalous, right, I right, think. Right, yeah,
2: Right. and the other thing is that you, if you listen to traditional tunes, um, you'll hear literal uh, quotes, uh, pieces of one tune in another, and you have to think about the. You now, these people are sitting in a kitchen or a bar somewhere. Maybe they've had a couple of pints, and they're just going with the flow. So things might get invented on the fly. Uh, you know sort of without a lot of conscious effort, I like to think so anyway, that, that, that that's the way it works, is that it's it's sort of even the act of composition might have a community-based element to it. where It's about the people you're with. I was going to ask you, Erica, um, if you could talk a little bit about your composition Reeling Rowan. Right. Yeah, well... Which is two is, pieces. This is funny
0: because you, you mentioned that you wrote the B part first. And so did I. I don't know. I think maybe, I don't know. That's just the most exciting part you want to get right to it. So (laughs) That's interesting. um, Yeah, but I wrote um, this tune called Reeling Rowan. And I wrote that tune and then I was like, oh, you can't really start with that tune. So I had to write another one to go um, in front of it. So it was like the B part and then the whole A part, but then a whole nother tune in front of it. But the uh, Reeling Rowan is the second tune, and I guess the whole thing should just be called Reeling Rowan anyway. Because I, I was still looking for a name, and every time we play it, we go, "Oh, Erica's still looking for a tune, uh, tune name." Uh, and then, and then I never, that I never <laughs> pick one. So I think it's time that both of them just be called Reeling Rowan. Uh, but I wrote it for my little cousin, who calls um, me Orange Shoes because when I met her, uh, I was wearing orange <laughs> shoes, and she's small, so of course. She looks at everyone's shoes and um, she's a redhead also. And I just, I just get a very like orange sort of feel whenever I play that song. Um, And I talked to her today and and she, she, this was years ago, I think at least, at least two years ago. And I'm surprised she even remembers, but <laughs> but she does. And she sent me a video on Instagram Or her mom sent me a video on Instagram and she goes, hi, Owen shoes. So I sent her a video of me playing the tune that I wrote for her back and she just loved it. She's so cute, but wow, yeah, I, it's a really fun, really fun tune to play. And, um, I recorded it, um, for a class that I was doing for, I think, I can't remember sound design maybe. Um, and then, I play cello also, like Beth, and then um, just kind of like worked out some of the cello parts and then Beth just just added right to it, It it was really cool. And so we have this little improv session in the beginning of it. I haven't really written any other tunes, but... um, You're in school. Yeah, no, that's right. (laughs) I'm in school. (laughs) But I want to, and and it's a lot of fun. Uh, But that was my first one ever, and I think it just came out of um, boredom in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) It's like March 2020, so...